Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Offscript. My name is Stephen Edgington. Where does Joe Biden rank among the US presidents? I'm joined by Alvin Felsenberg, a presidential historian who has written a book ranking all of America's leaders to discuss Biden's presidency in its historical context. Thank you, Alvin, for joining us. It's a pleasure to be with you, Steve. Thank you. Where does Joe Biden rank among the US presidents? (laughs) Well, it's a little early. Uh, We have to see how many things go. Uh, we don't know how Ukraine's going to go. Uh, I do think historians are going to give him credit for rising to that moment. I must say, he surprised me. Uh, and I think he broke a lot of eggs in his own party uh, to do that. I think the uh, anti-war movement of the Democratic Party is probably as strong, if not stronger, than it is in the Republican Party. But he's holding his ground. Uh, he, Joe Biden was a Cold War Democrat. He chaired the Foreign Relations Committee for many years. I do think there's something about him on this issue where politics stop at the water's edge. I think the same thing would be true with his stance toward Taiwan. I think he's been very vigorous. We don't know if we're going to go into a recession or not. Um, I would say that his economic policies, at least by my lights, are are not as uh, strong, not as visionary as some of the things he's done on the international stage. But we'll see. Uh, I've, I've been hearing reports in Britain now about interest rates going up. Are we going to have the recession or not? Is it better to get it over with earlier or not? The longer we wait, will it be deeper or more shallow? Uh, these are all open questions. Um, the same thing's true of his infrastructure program. It's something he was very, very proud of. I don't hear that many people talking about it in the United States. And you might remember when uh, Obama once uh, said that uh, a lot of the projects that were shovel-ready were not shovel-ready when they actually got out to do the work. Uh, We'll see if they're all waiting for environmental impact statements or approvals and are going to take 90 years to finish a bridge and these kind of things. Um, Presidents should have empathy. Uh, That's been one of his strong suits. We've we've had a lot to be empathetic about. Just in the last 10, 15 years, we've had the 9-11 attacks. We had people thrown out of work in the worst uh, economic decline since the Great Depression. Uh, We now have doubts about our ability to solve problems and uh, achieve much anything. We have a growing group of people who felt the government wasn't listening to them. They've been left out of all these trade agreements that perhaps were oversold and overpromised, not just NAFTA, but a whole number of them. So uh, right now, an incomplete with a couple of good grades on the foreign side and a lot of question marks. So I'm going to give you some of the darker marks of his presidency. Please, yes. um, 
some people would argue that he is not a unifying president. He's very divisive in his rhetoric, particularly when he talks about the extreme MAGA Republicans. Mm-hmm. Now, is this a unifying thing when you're trying to... He, he promised, basically, to bring America together after the Trump presidency. And I don't think that America's been more divided than in a long time. I, I, I would agree with you to a point. I, I don't think that's a unifying uh, issue uh, to attack people who didn't vote for you. Uh, we're back to the Hillary Clinton. One third were deplorables. is not a way to unify the country. Uh, that said, he's, he's probably followed the most of his success, a predecessor in American history. Uh, most other people who ran for president uh, believed in abiding by the results. This is the first time uh, he has a new, a new standard if he thinks he was treated fairly and he cannot believe that an honest election would go against him. Uh, most of his attacks are against uh, other people in the United States government, a lot more. He said nicer things about Putin than he said about most of the United States Senate, most of Congress, and probably any governor, particularly the governor of Florida, now that he's having some competition with him. He said nicer things about Putin, nicer things about Xi. Uh, and uh, Biden's responding to that. Now, a president should be bigger than that. I would agree with you. Uh, he should talk about the things that we have in common and not the things that divide us. I think both of these gentlemen, if we're going to have the rematch nobody seems to want, <laughs> have to learn that they, to get over the finish line. They need to get more than their base. Their base is not enough. There are certain uh, uh, elements in the presidential office that do, do lend toward unity in some ways. And I don't think either of them match that. People saw Joe Biden as yes. a fairly moderate figure. He was. Um, Yes. But I think that's changed in recent yes. years. And one can make an argument that he's been more on the left of the Democratic Party, more of, more of a radical president. Could you compare him to perhaps other Democrats who've been president in terms of his radicalism and his socialism? Well, I think you're right. And that's where I make the parallel to the base. I mean, Biden, Biden has run for president now uh, three times. Uh, he was carried over the finish line. Uh, when other Democrats decided that Bernie Sanders might be too much and might panic the electorate. So if you recall, he didn't do well in the early primaries. The only thing he won was South Carolina when, when um, uh, the Congressman uh, Clyburn, Jim Clyburn from the state, uh, galvanized the African-American vote. And they put significant persuasion, if not pressure, on Klobuchar and uh, Buttigieg and some others to withdraw. So he there, the only one left. Uh, he was a moderate in the, uh, in the United States Senate. He was a centrist Democrat, a uh, John F. Kennedy Cold War Democrat with a touch of Franklin Roosevelt's uh, and Harry Truman's uh, appeal to organized labor. There's no question that progressives have been running the show. Uh, we see it with appointments. We see it with uh, climate change. We've seen a certain fixation on certain uh, refusals to compromise and move toward the middle in any way. Do you think compared to Franklin Roosevelt and other Democrat presidents, I mean, where would you put Biden if you, you, know, if you had Roosevelt on the very left and Johnson on the left? And you sort of had the more, the more, uh, you know, Bill Clinton sort of on the right. Where, where does Joe well, Biden? Well, let, let me say one thing in defense of Franklin Roosevelt and Lyndon Johnson, something I don't always do in my book. I mean, I, I, I think they're very successful. But the, the times were much more liberal then. Uh, you had 25 percent of the country out of work in 1932. There was a tremendous sense that the international banking community had, had collapsed. His inaugural American Needs Action Needs Action Now, uh, he won four landslides. And uh, he, his, in those days, the center of the Democratic Party, maybe because of Franklin Roosevelt, maybe because of the Depression, was a lot more left than it is now. Lyndon Johnson, 
Uh, yes, he gave us more entitlements than any president since Franklin Roosevelt. He upped spending in every area. He also tried to finish the work of the uh, civil rights movement, or at least the, what I call the work of the Civil War. Uh, we ended the Civil War, and we never really uh, extended to African Americans the full promise of America. When it, Mrs. Thatcher stepped down from her leadership post as prime minister, she came to the United States. She gave a remarkable speech to Heritage Foundation. Uh, she said that you Americans don't realize the gift you've given the world. You're the only country that I can identify that was founded around an idea. That all people are equal in the eyes of each other, in the eyes of, the eyes of God, and, and uh, in the eyes of the law. You know how radical that was? We're all the products of, of, of conquest and heritage and history. And she said, you freed people you didn't intend to. She said, you know how many people were voting in, in, in 1789 or 1776 when you started all this ruckus about taxes? and votings and uh, taxation without representation. How many people in Britain were voting? They did because of you. They waited until 1832. Well, in the case of Lyndon Johnson, they waited a very long time. Uh, we told the world about equality. Lyndon Johnson did it. But I would point out to you that he passed it with very wide ma majorities. I mean, there were 29, uh, 36 Republican senators at that time uh, in a House and a Senate of 100. And he got 29 out of 36. I mean, there was very little division about this. He passed these, these controversial, in Medicare, same thing. These, what we now say were controversial bills. Huge margins. What Joe Biden is talking about now is trying to cherry pick off three Republican uh, congressmen, if you can find them, uh, from the Republican conference and uh, just pass it by one, two, three votes. That's not the way Johnson ran, ran it. That's not the way Roosevelt ran it. There is a center. Every political scientist I know say the American people are not as divided as their leaders who are now scheming to keep them divided to be the first past the post. And I think a good reading of American history might convince the White House to try another route, another strategy. Historically, presidents yes. have been more friendly, as you say, to their rivals. And you could go back to the early republic where you have you know, genuine relationships between um, the leaders of the two different parties. Now, I can't imagine Donald Trump and Joe Biden getting together and ha having a coffee or a dinner or a lunch or something and, and much you know, good coming from it. Um, so do you think that just more generally American politics has become more divided and how much can we blame Joe Biden on that? Well, I would remind you the early days were also pretty, pretty rambunctious. We did have a duel. I mean, we know how the musical Hamilton really ended. Uh, and we know some of the schemes and, and, uh, and uh, blackmail and other attempts that Jefferson and Hamilton tried to do to destroy each other. Uh, but 1940 was a very divisive election. No president ran for a third term before. Uh, there was a great debate in the United States about whether the American people would stay isolationist or whether they would provide aid to Britain. And uh, Wendell Wilkie campaigned as a warmonger, called Franklin Roosevelt. He didn't campaign as a warmonger. He said Roosevelt was a warmonger. A vote for him means war is certain. And he also called him a dictator for trying to uh, run for a third term, which no one had ever done. So this is the Republican rival to Roosevelt? Yes. He, he was an internationalist, but he was considered a little more moderate than the outright isolationists who were supporting Charles Lindbergh and taking the view that we, we've uh, gotten very little out of the First World War, except uh, the military cemeteries, unfortunately. Uh, they've had a chance to clean up their act, and we shouldn't do it a second time. Uh, he was passed over for Wilkie. We can talk about this. But 10 days after the election, I just said it was a, a very divisive election. 
uh, Franklin Roosevelt sends Wendell Wilkie to Winston Churchill. And they're now talking about lend lease. They're talking about what would the alliance be and Churchill responds uh, to Wilkie. What do I tell this thrice elected leader of uh, the largest English speaking country in the world? I say, give us the tools. We'll do the job. And Wilkie did that all through the war. Uh, when Harry Truman passed the Marshall Plan, uh, it was with tremendous Republican support. Uh, he had the Congress for the first year or two, and then he, had, then he lost Congress to the Republicans. He brought the uh, chairman in of the d important committees, and they did it together. And they changed the plan to accommodate some Republican objections. They named some people that pro Harry Truman probably never would have wanted anything in his life, but he wanted the program. He even named it after somebody else, not himself, because he thought George Marshall was more popular than he was. Okay, we haven't seen much of that lately. And... Uh, it would be a good thing if Biden would do that. But I would point something out. Uh, you mentioned division. Uh, remember Ronald Reagan's inaugural address? I'm looking out at this crowd and I see heroes. Uh, remember Donald Trump? I look at this, I look out in this crowd and I see carnage. Every living former president, except Jimmy Carter, who was ill that day, was on the stand. Uh, Clinton was on the stand. Hillary was on the stand. She was not a president. She was on the stand with her husband. Uh, both Bushes were on the stand. Uh, I won't repeat what George Bush said about that inaugural. Uh, that was the time to reach out. Uh, when we had the, the uh, transition uh, of, of, of uh, Obama yielding to Trump, it was one of the most gracious and, and successful transitions in history, both sides said. Donald Trump left the White House and said, you know, I really think Obama liked me. Uh, we had no transition last time. Um, he, it was a question of what, would he leave? No one, ever, no one ever tried that before. So, I mean, I have to say, uh, I'm not playing a blame game, but there's enough on both sides. It would be nice if a former president could say something about any other president that he supported. Well, Joe Biden is the president, of yes, course. Yes, he is and the we president. Must, um, we mm -hmm. must test him on his record. Yes, correct. And he was the man in his inaugural correct. address who said that he was going to unite the nation. Yes. And I think he, if, if you measure him on any metric, he has totally failed He should on be that. held to that. He should be held accountable for so that. So how can you say, you know, so let's say that, I know that we're only two and a bit years into his presidency, and you've written this fantastic book about, you know, ranking all of the presidents. Yes. Can we say, do we have any idea of, you know, is he middle, is he low, is he high? I mean, where would you put him vaguely? Well, he was a, in one of my classes, I'd give him an incomplete. We don't know where the economy's going. We don't know if, uh, if he's, how long we're going to stay committed to Ukraine. We don't know what's going to happen with this offensive. And uh, again, a lot of bills. We don't, if we default on our debt, I, there's no question that he will get out as a failed president. No question about that. Uh, if we say the United States does not stand by its commitment, we will see, an, I, I think, a, a more than a recession. Uh, let's see how it comes out. Let's see what, what both sides can, can take to the table and call a victory. Joe Biden's approval ratings are very low yes. compared to other presidents. Correct. They are extremely Correct. low. And yeah. you can pinpoint this where his approval ratings went sort of dipped like this. Mm -hmm. And this was the uh, Afghanistan. This was the, the withdrawal from Afghanistan. Uh, that was the low point. I should have mentioned it earlier. Um, the low point and took no accountability for that. He gave a major speech saying this would not be a repeat of Vietnam with people running to the roofs of the embassies, pulling to the of feet of people above them trying to get on a helicopter. They had time. They picked the, the day of the withdrawal. Uh, I don't think it convinced many people to say that it was the, the day Trump picked. I don't think that was very helpful. And not leaving people behind used to be a great American value. And he should be held accountable for that. But 35% but, um, approval. 
Remember that a, a poll is a snapshot in time. We don't know what people are going to think if these other things I talked about are, um, are, are worked out in a very positive way. Uh, we don't know who he's going to run against. I think we know. It's not clear yet. Uh, being a front runner is a very bad position that somebody should go into six months or a year before the convention. Ask George Romney that. Ask Jeb Bush that. Uh, There's so many people in history, the front runner just sort of never made it. And uh, sometimes you want uh, somebody else to be the surprise candidate. And if somebody else were the front runner and Trump did have come back, we'd have a different situation. So we'll see. I mean, uh, so the fact is he's been divisive. The economy yes, is struggling. Yes. Afghanistan was a disaster. Mm-hmm. And there are some people who say that Joe Biden will be the president remembered for being the one who uh, ended the American empire or was at least president when the American empire lost its supremacy against other countries like China. I mean, to give you a good example of that other than Afghanistan yep. is um, the US currency. And there is many, that, you know, the BRICS countries are talking about um, forming their own currency alliance and, and the, the dollar will no longer be the currency of reserve. Right. And that's just one example of where America is losing its, its hegemony oh, no. and, and, and losing its influence on the world stage. So this could be something else that Joe Biden's perhaps judged on? Well, again, it's an open story. I hope Joe Biden's reading those papers. This is the time to take uh, on the far left and his own party. If the United States dollar uh, no longer becomes the the means of exchange that everybody else wants, still is right now, Uh, they're waiting to see how we're going to get our budget under control. I can't even remember how much we spent on COVID. Fortunately, we didn't need all the money we spent. Some of it's still being spent. One of the talking points now with the debt reduction uh, argument, uh, it's time we return some of that to the American people. Uh, and it's time we cut some taxes uh, of people who've been straining very, very hard. No doubt about that. However, I would tell you that just uh, two days ago, Trump was interviewed on a town meeting on CNN. And he said, it's about time we repudiated the debt. It's the only way to get rid of this once and for all. Now, can you imagine what would happen if we said we're not going to pay our debts to any of the, any of the nations, including to China? Uh, how that's going to f- uh, further world peace. Uh, so again, uh, incomplete. I, when I wrote the book, you, you were kind enough to mention, uh, I exempted George Bush in the first edition. I, I said, you really have to go out of office. Not for 20 years, as we used to say about Truman and Ike, but at least five. Let's see how it's playing out. And uh, I don't know if George Bush's numbers have gone up or down. I suspect down a bit. On some of the matters, I think Clinton may be going up a bit and down a bit. And even Mr. Nixon, uh, his great vision, his great ability to turn the tables. I don't know how good that China opening looks now. Not that we want to stay closed, but the right questions were not asked. I mean, what, what is the rule of law? What is the rule of contract? Uh, why do we think they're going to keep their agreements? And there was this uh, bazaar of American companies as they couldn't, they couldn't wait to compete to get into China and these uh, a joint venture operations, and now they can't wait to get out. So I don't know how that looks. Uh, so so that presidents go up and down. And maybe I should end with one of my favorites is the U.S. Grant. I mean, he's, he was rated one of the worst presidents for uh, about 100 years, as soon as, or even more. And yet we start looking at the first reconstruction opportunities that were missed the first time around, and he doesn't look so bad at all. So, I mean, things will happen. That will happen to Biden. That will happen to Trump. That will happen to Bush. There are some things that uh, the Trump administration showed great courage and great vision on. I don't know why he doesn't take credit for the vaccine. He had another chance last night. He picked the company. He set the deadline. We never hear about it. Now, does that mean that there are too many people in his base uh, that are, are against vaccinations or against compulsory vaccinations or 
uh, taking positions that the governor of Florida is taking. He doesn't want to antagonize. That's going to go down as one of the great things in history. As we say about Bush, if you want to look at the end of Bush, uh, the, the program he did to combat AIDS in Africa, children born with AIDS, it was a miraculous program. He goes every year. We never hear about it. So there are certain things that when they open the presidential files, we're going to know that we didn't talk about at the time. I mean, we know at the moment there's a, there's a crisis on the American border and millions and yes. millions of people have yes. entered the U.S. Yes. under Biden. I mean, this recent Title 42 event has happened where he's kind of relaxed the rules yes. on COVID yes. as well. So this is another instance where you see, you know, I think that is a failure of Biden's presidency and, and crime is another one where crime is no, increasing. No, I could agree with you. But again, we're going to have a referendum and unfortunately a referendum of two people who are not all that popular as president. And people are still asking what happened to the wall why he didn't push the wall, uh, when he had both houses of Congress, uh, why somehow things that he made a priority and uh, uh, as, as a presidential candidate fell out of the list. I, I don't know why. But well, if they debate, you tell me that Trump said the other night, I missed that, that he may not debate in August. Uh, if they debate head to head, it'd be interesting to see what kind of what the response would be when Joe says, where, where was the wall? Uh, I think the um, approach to immigration right now has just been uh, horrendous my country. Um, it's almost getting to an emergency status. Uh, there's question in the House, even among Democrats, about whether the, the head of the um, INS, the International Help Me Out Naturalization Authority, whether he should be impeached. Um, there certainly will be hearings about this. And we sent the vice president down. She said, we don't have a border crisis. Uh, tell that to any American driving a taxi today. We don't have a border crisis. So any big city in the United States, we don't have a border crisis. America is facing a series of challenges, the border being one of them. You could argue the rise of AI is a major challenge to yes. all countries, particularly the United States, who is at the forefront of Silicon Valley in developing this technology. Also, as you mentioned before, the rise of China. And you have Donald Trump and Joe Biden, who are both fairly old candidates. Mm -hmm. And uh, we haven't, that's one thing we haven't talked about is Biden's age. And, yes. you know, this is something he's been committing a lot of gaffes. And perhaps uh, you could talk a bit about, um, about his age. Well, first of all, gaffes are, are as familiar to Joe Biden as maybe shamrocks are to Ireland. I mean, he's famous for his gaffes. Uh, there was a time, if you remember, the Obama inauguration. Uh, there was a slip. Uh, the chief justice had not uh, presided over inauguration before, and he reversed the order of, of a few words. There was a big question. Could somebody challenge whether, whether Obama was sworn in? So they had it again at the White House. And uh, Joe Biden was supposed to introduce uh, the chief justice and the president. And we do this again. Um, he started by repeating all the mistakes the chief justice did. And Obama finally grabbed him by the elbow and pulled Joe off the podium. So uh, mistakes we know. Um, age, well, again, uh, looking good for a man 82 right now, or 80, going to be 82 when, when he runs. Uh, Trump is not that much younger. Uh, I think he's in be probably better physical shape, but I haven't seen any, any of their medical records. Uh, people are still debating, did Ronald Reagan have uh, any signs of Alzheimer's in his last couple of years? Uh, some people met with him, swore he did. Uh, and I challenge those people to go look at the uh, final year with Gorbachev and look at the uh, arm bending he did to the INF treaty to get it to the United States Senate, where we abolished the entire family of nuclear weapons. Uh, no man could have done the work he did with Gorbachev and, and, uh, and Thatcher and, and, uh, and, and not had all his marbles. I don't care what they're saying. Uh, I'm not saying Biden is not slipping with age. Let me just say, when you elect an 82-year-old man who's going to be 86 at the end of his tenure, 
you can't say that his best years are ahead of him. Uh, and you can't say he's going to grow very much, which you can say about a younger man, I mean, an Obama, a Kennedy, a Clinton, and maybe even a DeSantis. There's more hope to grow if there's a higher learning curve. There's more uh, uh, possibility uh, to learn from your mistakes and, uh, and not repeat them. Uh, and that's something I would worry about with both of them. Uh, are we getting anything new with Trump, or is it going to be four years of, of retribution and, and payback time? Well, sometimes people are tired of payback time, and the question will be, um, what are you doing for us? Yes, I, we support you. We sympathize with you. You have a great set of grievances. Uh, you've been picked on. You've been ganged up. Okay, but what about us? What do we get in the four years? Uh, we've stuck steady with you. And uh, maybe it's time to, to, to uh, get your ideas on the table and get another candidate to sell them. I don't know. That's why we have primary elections. That's why we have debates. And that's why we have elections. Now, Joe Biden, he is, he is so old that he was in the Senate in the 1970s. <laughs> yes, that's when yes. He, the one job he's ever had, really. The one full-time job he's had. He's elected in 1972. And there's this famous quote that can be attributed to Napoleon. Um, you know, you can judge a man on what happened when he was 20 in the world. Yes, and yes. Can we apply that to Joe Biden? I mean, does, does, does the legacy of his kind of early adulthood impact his current decisions? Well, um, I've heard him speak on this at a town meeting in South Carolina when he uh, failed to get the nomination against Obama and, and other candidates running. Um, he's talking about the world when he was 20. Um, John Kennedy was in the White House. He said, why do, I, why do I run for president? Because a young president asked me to do something. A young president asked me to serve. A young president asked me to make things better. Uh, a young president managed the Cold War with great panache, uh, averted nuclear war, uh, educated more children, uh, created what we now know as the civil rights uh, response of the president. John Kennedy was the first president to call civil rights a moral issue. That was the world when Joe Biden was growing up. And... Uh, I'm surprised we haven't seen more of the idealism, but that were the times he was growing up. Um, he, um, his world is the Democratic Party, and the, uh, in his day when he was growing up, the political bosses ran the Democratic Party. It was a very strong party. It was a majority party. Republicans, whenever Republicans would win, they would call them deviating elections because both Eisenhower and Nixon won great landslides with Democratic Congresses. Ike in 56. I had the Senate and the House for two years at 52 and six years of Democratic Congress. Nixon the whole time, uh, Democratic Congress. Uh, so they were deviating elections because the Democrats were so strong at the bottom. The clubhouse, the mayors, the governors, they ran the Democratic Party. The party system has fallen apart. If you were going to come to, with me to a meeting of Democrats and hear them grousing in the halls, we really want somebody else, really want some, well, what are you going to do about it? Uh, the presidents have sort of, in, within the, nom the nominating process, the presidential nominee has made themselves the king. You oppose him, uh, a lot of other things may happen to you in your own renomination. It's true of both sides. And so uh, this started with Roosevelt. He wanted a third term. Uh, and and uh, the former vice president wouldn't run with him. Or, or didn't want, wasn't even talking to him because he wanted to be president. And the man who he picked in 1940... Uh, was too radical for the bosses. They had a meeting with Frank and Roosevelt, and they said, quote, let me remind you of your question about Biden. You know, Frank, you don't look very good. You don't look very healthy. Uh, most people think we're electing two presidents this time. We cannot sell Henry Wallace in the wards. He's too pro-Stalin. Yeah, I know we're allies of convenience, but he's too pro-Stalin. Uh, 
Uh, we have Ukrainians in the state of Illinois, in the city of Chicago. We have Poles. We have other people he's massacred. We cannot deliver Illinois for you. They forced him in the middle of a war uh, to drop a vice president in that way, and, and he picked Harry Truman, who was no problem, as it turned out, in the Cold War, and was the first one to strand Hall. Well, uh, we don't, I don't think we can do that. Even, even Biden's staff is leaking certain things about the vice president, and yet whatever Joe says goes because he doesn't want to set some rumbling effects in the party. Uh, we'd strengthen the parties. This is one thing I admire so much about uh, your country. Uh, yes, you've had strong prime ministers, uh, but even Mrs. Thatcher, I thought it was a tragedy and a disgrace that she was brought to heel by her own party, that she, she won to victory, led to victory three times. But still, they had the ultimate say over who would be their leader. And right now, we have the primary system. 13% of registered Republicans and registered Democrats vote in the primary in their states. New Hampshire is a good place to watch. Maybe it'll be a little higher this year. Who knows? Of that 13%, I would say a majority of them are the fringe groups of both sides. They're the base, progressive base, and they're whatever Biden wants to call uh, Trump's base. Uh, and, and they wonder why, why people are turned off and wonder why the political scientists say that the public is not as polarized as the parties, as, as the leaders are. I would like to make that change. If, if God came down and said, give me one change, I would strengthen the parties at the expense of the presidential candidate and rebuild the institution that wants great political parties. So do you think historically Joe Biden basically ha would have had no chance of becoming the Democratic candidate for president? Historically? Well, we have the record. Uh, we have, in 1988, uh, he ran for president against a fellow named Michael Dukakis. You might remember Michael Dukakis. Uh, George, <laughs> nobody does, really. George Bush uh, the first buried him in one of the largest landslides uh, we've had. Well, Biden in the primary uh, gave a speech that was basically lifted from Neil Kinnock, uh, who was running against Thatcher. I don't know why that was the role model, because Neil Kinnock was an <laughs> lost one of the largest margins in British history. And he actually, without changing the script, and he was not 80 years old then, without changing the script, he reads that, you know, I used to get up every morning with my father and go into the mines. Maybe he kept the line, too, about in Wales. I don't know. Uh, so he had a chance at that point, and he was passed over. Uh, he was one of the last when, last ones uh, standing uh, the year Obama ran, and, you know, when it was clear that Obama was going to emerge. And I guess they polled this, Axelrod, had, had uh, focus groups work. Axelrod was Biden's political consultant. And I suppose those polls showed that he cost less uh, than, than running with anyone else. Anyone else would have been more divisive. Anyone else they probably couldn't control as much. And they picked Joe Biden because he could do no harm. Nixon once said that about a vice president, he can only hurt you, he can't help you. Looking across the street, seeing uh, John McCain running with Sarah Palin, looked like a smart move. Uh, so, yes, uh, history has shown that he was never the uh, Democrats' favorite. But nevertheless, uh, they settled on him and he won. Do you think he won by default in 2020? Uh, uh, yes. Uh, I think that was one of the elections that uh, more people opposed the other candidate than supported Joe Biden. I, I never detected a great deal of uh, affection for him. But that was also true with Lyndon Johnson. I mean, Lyndon Johnson ran on John Kennedy's record. I praised Johnson before, but he was going to bring in the, uh, the ship that this fallen captain 
had left us. And, but there was no affection for him. There was always Bobby Kennedy waiting in the wings. There were other Democrats who were younger, were looking forward to the future, give better speeches. Uh, but this has happened on other occasions. If you were writing a Robert mm -hmm. Caro style million volume biography of Biden's life, very long life, right. what do you think the narrative arc would be? Um, loyalty, waiting one's turn, um, doing one's duty. Um, he wasted, <laughs> he, he spent a good part of his life, I said wasted, I wouldn't say that again, uh, spent a lot of his life trying to plot his next move. And uh, it seems like it's the next step. Uh, he was chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, an important job. He was chairman of the Judiciary Committee in the House, an important job. Uh, Vice President of the United States. I mean, it's the obvious next step. Now, maybe he would have run earlier had his son not, not passed away, tragically. And uh, it was an emotional uh, trauma for the family. And maybe he couldn't focus on that. Uh, maybe Obama saw that. He, he, he played with it a bit. And Obama made it clear he thought Hillary would be the nominee, not that he was pushing her, but he thought she, which is the way of saying, Joe, I'd rather you not do it. Uh, and that's, that's certainly understandable. But this was his last chance. And he wasn't going to let it pass without a fight. He surprised me that he didn't galvanize more Democratic voters, that, that even the base that he is so uh, enamored with now, uh, he was not their first choice. And if I had to look back at his presidency, he spent too much time in his first two years negotiating with his own base and not negotiating with the Republicans. And in the end of the day, uh, the base has no choice but to fall in line. And uh, he, he, he just let them get too much. Who was the last great U.S. president? Ronald Reagan, uh, without question. And uh, runner-up would be George Herbert Walker Bush. But there's no question Ronald Reagan was our last great president. Uh, he had the... Um, the vision to see around corners. Uh, other people would ask, you know, the real politic approach of the Nixon years uh, was uh, balance of power. Uh, we negotiate for the sake of negotiating. Sometimes we're up, sometimes they're up. Uh, but in the end, uh, peace is preserved, balance of power. Reagan could say, this is an evil empire. Can we conceive a world without it? And how do we get there? And he was hearing stories about shortages on the shelves and uh, intelligence reports never reporting uh, to him exactly how much they were spending on defense, uh, a lot higher uh, than we thought. And the more they spent on defense, the more cracks emerged in the civil society of Russia by the shortages. And he realized that uh, rhetoric mattered. He was overjoyed when he found out that his comments about evil empire made it into the gulag. And his comment was, as I always said, the world wouldn't end if an American president told the truth about Soviet Union. Uh, he had constancy, he had commitment, he had character. He understood the importance of compromise with the Democrats when it was necessary. We never had these discussions about are we going to default on our debt and Ronald Reagan was president. He knew that much. And they came together. They came together on entitlement reform. It's the last time we really tackled Social Security when he sat down with Tip O'Neill and they solved it for a generation. They can do it again if there's a willingness to do it. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70 percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And uh, you left an incredible legacy. Uh, there's a, a book I, I just uh, reviewed by a professor at University of Texas named William uh, M. Bowden. I talked about how he did it, and I was quite impressed at how he worked with the lies. Uh, he calls allies, um, Professor Imboden, uh, multipliers. And sometimes you don't do it yourself. Sometimes you let Thatcher do it. Remember when Thatcher said that uh, she could do business with Gorbachev? Well, let's try it out. Uh, come brief me next week. I'm going to see him in two months. Let's see, about, let's see what you found. Um, same thing with Japan. Uh, Reagan understood the importance of Nixon's China opening but was guard, guarded of the euphoria that came from it. And he said, here's a nation. This is a man, a man that never had any foreign policy experience, never worked for another president. He said, here's a country that opens toward the West and closes toward the West. They have periods of capitalism. They have periods of cultural revolution, often at the same time. Uh, we're going to hitch our wagon to a democracy in Asia uh, that, um, uh, that's going to uh, lead the way to the future. It's going to put pressure on Korea to become a, a, a democracy, and eventually Taiwan becomes a democracy. And they've got this defense belt uh, from uh, Korea, Philippines, uh, Japan, further south of Australia and New Zealand. We're already there. Now, because of that thinking, uh, we have the capacity at least to make it harder for China to take Taiwan. Not impossible. Harder. It's going to cost. And these nations are in some ways acting the way NATO has now responded toward Ukraine. Uh, he left Joe Biden something to work with if he's willing to grab it. Uh, that's vision and that's seeing ahead. And that's what I would say about, about the last, pardon me, great president. Now, Clinton obviously was the one who let China into the WTO, yes. which I think yes. has had interesting yes. Yes. and yes. rather terrible consequences. Yes. Um, can Joe Biden be a great president? Uh, he has the ability to. Uh, if you listen to this program. <laughs> if he listens to Alvin Felsenberg. No, remember the name Steve Eddington. It's a very good question. And, and uh, I hate to say incomplete all the time or unfinished all the time. I know, I'm trying to push but, you. No, 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 no. But if he grabs, if he listens to you, this show, he listens to your questions, and, um, and he grabs it and he says, uh, I'm, I'm now speaking to the ages. I'm asking for a second term. I'm not speaking to my base. I don't have any, any internal opposition to the, to the Democratic nomination. I really can do anything I want as mastermind, leader of the Democratic Party, from Biden's point of view, who kept the wolf at bay twice. Now I'm talking about the country. Now I'm talking about where I want America to be in the next hundred years. And I'm going to come up with an agenda for at least for the first 50, even though I won't be here to see it. And if he, he got the financial, uh, I wouldn't mention the banking crisis, we're going through one. Uh, if he, he got the, the banking community uh, together and they stopped these go-go uh, bailouts, you know, the law says $250,000 in a bank account, bank fails, the government will pay it. And they were lending a lot more than that. They were, they were, they were skating very close to the top and banks have failed. We have a crisis in California and it may spread. And uh, if he can get that under control, if he can get the spending cut, if he can return some of the COVID money uh, to deficit reduction, uh, if he can work with the, with the, um, the speaker. By the way, uh, McCarthy gets too little credit. Speaker McCarthy, speaker of the 
House by three votes in the last election. You know, the divided party on, 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 um, on foreign policy. And he stayed tall. He stayed tall. There's nothing really in it for him with the MAGA voters uh, who are going to support Trump. And maybe a lot of the MAGA voters support Ukraine also. Very complicated issue right now within the Republican Party. Biden never praises him. You know, we talk about the importance of, for bipartisanship. We have a House Speaker and a House Chairman of, of, of uh, Foreign Relations. His name is McCall. They've both done more to help Joe Biden than any Democrat I know on the Hill when it comes to foreign relations in Ukraine. And for God's sakes, at some point, uh, turn it over to a new generation of leaders. And I don't only mean the vice president. You can look through the entire government. I mean, too many, too many people are serving too long. So Ronald Reagan was last president in 1989. And then obviously we had uh, George H.W. Bush, Bush senior, who was a very honorable, honorable man, and he presided over the end of the Cold War. Obviously, you could give the credit to, to Reagan, but obviously Bush was the guy who, uh, yes. who was there in the, in the, in yes. the early 1990s, collapsed the Soviet Union. Now, obviously, we know that um, people blame his, his commitment to not, to not increase taxes for the reason that he lost that election to Bill Clinton. Well, his failure to keep the promise. His failure to That's keep that promise. promise. Ab- absolutely, yeah. So, so he said, "Read my lips. Uh, you know, I won't, I won't, re- won't reduce taxes. I uh, won't increase taxes." Yeah. So, um, so very honourable man. And then you can compare him to Bill Clinton, and perhaps there's a very stark sort of contrast in personalities. Do you think that Bill Clinton was really the beginning of the decline of the American stock in terms of presidents? I don't know. I mean, um, remember Bosnia and Kosovo. Remember the last time we had war crimes? And remember what happened to Mr. Milosevic and some of his henchmen? Uh, the United States said, we're going to lead the world with, with NATO, with our allies in the UK and other places. This will not stand. Serbia attacked no NATO country. The first time in NATO's history that they, they went together against a, a nation that did not, not offend anyone. They were on our side in World War II. Uh, but the... the uh, well, using rape as an instrument of war uh, and murdering people simply because of who they were and violating the Charter, uh, International Charter of Human Rights, the United Nations. Uh, Clinton galvanized that. It was not a world war, no, it was not U.S. versus USSR and any of that. But uh, that would not have happened with Bill Clinton without Bill Clinton and Madeleine Albright. Uh, he was the first president to say that, you know, we have a special relationship with Britain, but we also care about what happens in Ireland. Uh, British soldiers are getting killed, too many of them. It's gone on for 30 years. It was going on from the time he was a student at Oxford. Uh, he was attacked for sticking his thumb into a, someone else's pie. Uh, it's held. We, I, I'm not telling you what Britain should do now. I mean, now we have questions about the border and other things, but uh, that wouldn't happen without Bill Clinton. The mistake with China was they were never held to account. Now we get to some ethical problems. Uh, there were al- allegations, some probably were true, that Chinese money uh, seeping into the American electoral process. There are questions now about Russian money seeping in, uh, to other things going on in our political system. But uh, for whatever reason, um, China got away with a lot with the WTO. It fed cynicism. I'm not, I see that British, Britain is now joining the, the Pacific Trade Pact, something Trump said he would never join and Biden said he would join and that doesn't mention. Uh, WTO was a good idea, but it didn't have enough teeth or at least it wasn't a commitment on his side to push it. But Clinton made this claim at the time mm-hmm. that 
by China joining the WTO, they would become a more liberal democracy. Well, and he uh, has Nixon been made, proved completely made, wrong on that. Nixon made the argument. You know, he was standing in China in the middle of a cultural revolution. People were still in the gulag. And he was asked, why are you not pushing human rights? And he said, within time, capitalism will democratize. Uh, this is a myth that too many presidents bought. Um, they're communists. They, buy, they believe in communism. Uh, even their form of capitalism is communism. We have, uh, in your country and in mine, we acknowledge there's a private sector, there's a public sector, and there should be free trade among, among uh, free nations. They don't realize this. They have government runs business, government runs labor, government runs, obviously it runs government, it's science, it's everything. So we have a committee now in the United States Congress, also under McCarthy, it's, it's uh, run by Congressman Gallagher at Wisconsin. If they're going to make defense, diplomacy, and economics uh, the same, three, three, three prongs of a same strategy, we're then going to treat them that way. So we're going to have a China committee, a select committee on China, and we're not going to let things that affect China come, come up through about nine committees and we don't talk to each other. Uh, again, he should be praised for that. No, yeah, Clinton had a lot of faults. He just hit one. But so did, so did Nixon, so did Ford, so did Carter. Uh, Carter. Clinton, Clinton was the, the, the uh, man who was happy to lie. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. You know, this was, wasn't this degrading the office of the presidency? Um, you're changing, you're changing um, stories on me. Uh, I, I said the Clinton questions about ethics come up, and lying's one of them, and he was found guilty by uh, a couple of juries and no longer has the right to practice law in New York or Arkansas. Uh, we visited that. Uh, and we were, we were saying, I, I know there was several people in the Clinton administration left because they were tired of having breakfast with their eight-year-old asking them about oral sex and whether it's sex. Or, mommy, what is it, da-da-da-da-da, that, that appear in the Star Report about Clinton. All right. Uh, but even in the Clinton era, I don't think anybody would, 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 would think that the President of the United States would be paying off uh, uh, porn queens and uh, He was accused, accused of, of sexual, I mean, Clinton himself was accused of sexual assault. Well, he was just found guilty of, 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 of by a jury, uh, of, of, of assaulting a woman. They didn't use the word rape. Uh, he, he, uh, what's the defense for uh, Stormy Daniels, that, that, that uh, uh, paying people off to keep quiet uh, is, uh, is not a crime? Uh, all right. Uh, in my world, I think it kind of is. And... Uh, if we're going to have one standard for Clinton, I remember how the, what you would call the banker base carried on about Clinton during impeachment. I remember the jokes on uh, late night comedy and all of that. And uh, uh, to think that the Republican Party that has now become the party of, 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 of religious fundamentalism and, and morality uh, does not think there's a contradiction in that. I'll let others to talk about. But if we're going to talk about Clinton, it's hard, hard not to talk about Trump. But let's, let's go back to this issue of great presidents. How often do we get a great president? I mean, do they, I mean, it's been 30 years, what I'm saying, since Reagan. So is that unusual that we haven't had one since? Um, it's the longest stretch that I can think of where we haven't had one since. Uh, we had a series uh, in a row at one point. I mean, we had uh, whatever one thinks of Franklin Roosevelt, he did win the World War. Uh, he did bring to Nazi Germany. Uh, maybe... Maybe he left at the right time because he had blind spots about other parts of the world that Harry Truman did not. But I think it's fair to say that Roosevelt and Truman and Eisenhower uh, were three in a row. Uh, 
We pass over Kennedy, but there were signs of growth. There were signs of change. There were signs of courage. And we talked about Johnson, uh, who was not a great president. But those were, were four presidents in a row um, that I think you could say uh, left a stronger legacy than the last four presidents, if I was going to do it that way. Um, we have great sympathy and great respect for Jimmy Carter now. He's not a great president. Uh, he recognized China, and he was Mr. Human Rights. He wanted to make America. We, he said that we were spending too much time. We had an inordinate fear of communism. At the same time, we should walk away from allies because we didn't approve of everything they did on the human rights agenda. Did nothing to push them. Uh, okay. Uh, Clinton should have done more in China. I've said this several times. Uh, did Mao mistake uh, Kissinger? Did, did, he, did he lead Kissinger on? How old was Mao at the time? Older than Biden, I suspect. Uh, so if we're, we're questioning Biden's uh, judgment, we really have to judge it now. We swam in that river, didn't we? Well, we swam in that river. Uh, Mao knew we wanted out of Vietnam, and he knew why Kissinger was going. Kissinger was going because he wanted another, another uh, wedge to push against the Soviet Union so they would put pressure on North Vietnam, and that both countries, China and Russia, would stop uh, that. Well, that never happened. The war went on for four more years, or three more years after the China opening. Um, it was an important defensive move. We, we, we shared intelligence with the Chinese about the movement of Soviet troops and many things. Uh, but I said, uh, we're re reassessing Nixon, and I think the China opening does not look in the light of today what it looked like then. The euphoria is gone. The guild is off the lily. Uh, we'll see. And really, Kissinger was making this, uh, he made this argument that we don't want China and Russia to be close because that will, call, you know, that will cause huge problems in terms of America's hegemony. And one could argue, and certainly people do argue in the United States, that this has been a complete failure of Joe Biden by supporting Ukraine in the way that he has done. He's pushed Russia closer to China, and now Russia no, and China... I don't, I don't well, if you, look, if you look at Chinese and Russian trade, I mean, it's yeah. massively increased. The sanctions have led to, um, to China basically propping up the Russian economy. So there is that argument that perhaps that is a failure of foreign policy. I couldn't blame that on Joe Biden. Uh, uh, we had uh, Putin invades a country. China sees what some United States senator, uh, senators see. Uh, the, government, the country of Russia is a wasteland with a gas station, basically. China has outmaneuvered many nations before, the reason they have the oldest civilization. Uh, they realize that uh, Putin's travails uh, give them an opportunity uh, to suborn China, I won't say into a Russian satellite, but be the dominant player. Uh, they're forcing themselves onto the international stage, they're into the Middle East. Uh, they will forever be in Putin's debt if he survives. Um, if he doesn't survive, uh, they will be very nice to whoever his successor is, who will be subordinate. Uh, I can't blame Joe Biden for that. I, I, I praise Biden for standing tall. Uh, he had an opponent, has had an opponent at the time for the Republican nomination, Governor of Florida, basically called, uh, called Putin's uh, uh, war with Ukraine uh, a territorial dispute. We can tell that to the Ukrainians, tell that to Americans of Ukrainian descent, tell that to any nation that, that saw uh, a totalitarian country sweep Europe before. Does anybody think he's going to stop at Ukraine? I mean, tell it to the Finns, tell it to the Swedes. I, I give the president credit for things he does right, and that's one of the things he's done right. History will be very kind to him.
Do you agree with my general sentiment that there has been a decline of American presence? I do. And why, why do you think that has been? What, what's your... um, our political system has gotten very, uh, the American people have gotten very cynical. Uh, there's a lot to be cynical about. Uh, all of these presidents we can talk about made a lot of promises uh, and then hand the, hand the problem along to their successor. Uh, there was a great joke that was told in the 76 election. Two, two farmers are going to vote and they're asking each other who they're going to vote for. And the, uh, one of them says, I really don't know because since President Roosevelt died, who's been fighting the depression? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, we got into this uh, period and we had an assassination and we had, well, a series of assassinations in the 60s and beyond. We had Vietnam, uh, not explained to the American people. It was not defined. The mission was vague, unclear. Most Americans couldn't find it on a map. And then we followed that with Watergate. And, you know, the atmosphere was right for somebody like Donald Trump to shake it up. Uh, why are all the wars the same? Why do they end the same way? Why don't we ever win any wars anymore? These uh, generals show up at uh, their budget hearings, you know, bedaddled with all their, 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 their uh, brass and their ribbons and all of that. And who's the last one who won a war? Uh, you were showing me going in. You were telling me about the, uh, the great euphoria at the end of World War I and World War II uh, in Trafalgar Square the Times Square in New York, celebratory. Uh, most people think we got very little out of, of these incurments. And why does it keep happening? Uh, failure of intelligence, failure of common sense, uh, failure of courage, um, bureaucratization that sweeps into almost every branch of government. Uh, there was, there was a, a, a reason to shake things up a bit. And someone had to point that out. And I think that um, uh, Donald Trump will be remembered more for his analysis and for his solutions, but he did ask the right questions. There was this consensus in American politics that formed after 2001 between the Democrats and the Republicans. Some could call it neoconservatism, particularly on foreign policy, where you, know, you had this very hawkish um, foreign policy in Iraq and Afghanistan. So perhaps it was this political consensus that created an era, a sort of aura of, I don't want to say corruption, but certainly complacency. And as you say, maybe Donald Trump, we needed someone to shake that up. Do you agree with that? Um, we needed somebody to point this out. Uh, I, I, at the time, I mean, before Donald Trump was even talking about running for president, I remember talking to him, a, a group of friends. And, and I believed when the president said, and when Tony Blair said, and the French intelligence and the Israeli intelligence, the Italian all said, that Saddam Hussein was uh, uh, hiding weapons of mass destruction uh, that were aimed at us. Uh, add to the mix that uh, uh, some people in the Bush administration uh, uh, thought uh, that he had a role in 9-11. And I was on the 9-11 Commission staff, and we spent a lot of time looking at that. And um, what have we learned from Vietnam? Like, what is the goal here? Uh, William Buckley put this very good, that, you know, I don't believe the president is a liar, and I believe all the intelligence showed what he said. All right. We took out Saddam Hussein, and we, um, we didn't find the weapons. Why were there 10 years more? Uh, tell me again. We didn't find the weapons. Well, we have a perfect opportunity just to walk out. This is not a problem anymore. 
the French uh, helped the Americans gain their independence, and they left. And then they, had, they bankrupted France, and they had their own revolution, he wrote. But they left. And they didn't take over New Jersey or Pennsylvania. They left. The British were out. It was the other superpower. That was France, France's goal. What are our goals now? And so uh, then we decide uh, the next step with Iraq was uh, democracy, the forms of democracy. We're going to start voting. Remember all these people going to vote and they had their, their, their index finger dipped in purple ink and showed that they voted. Um, what do they think they were voting about? What do they know about democracy? We did not do. And, and if you're going to do the job, you do it the way you did it in Europe. You, you rebuild with an infrastructure. You build an economy. You create a trading partner. You try to find a way that there's mutual interdependence between us and them and they and their neighbors. Uh, but no, we're having elections. We, we couldn't tell one government after another after a while, and we, again, finally left. But this was complete, don't you think this was complete hubris, you know, sort of complete complacency, liberal complacency? You look at somewhere like Afghanistan, I mean, this is a, this is a clannish country, this people have family tribes. There is no history of democracy whatsoever in Afghanistan. I quite agree with you. We're completely to... No, but there we, we had, there we had a reason. The Taliban was openly sheltering bin Laden. We, nobody said bin Laden had nothing to do with 9-11. And he killed 3,000 Americans. Of course, but no it's the nation is going, going to sit by. Uh, and, and well, again, we can talk about democracy. No president is going to sit by and not, not act. And when we brought the Taliban down, was an opportunity. And that's a place I would say we don't need a half a million troops. But we don't just get out and leave people uh, at their own mercy. There are people who risk their lives to help us. And it's hurt our credibility down the line. And there's a difference between Bush and Iraq and, Bu and Bush 1 and Iraq and Bush 2 in Iraq and Bush 2 in Afghanistan. Afghanistan was even, uh, even Obama called that. That was the good war. Remember all that? Uh, no, no, I, I, I don't think you go to war uh, to build democracy at the end of an American rifle. You go to war to protect the American people. And if they're going to continue to erupt that way and continue to give shelter, which is some evidence that Al-Qaeda is growing again, I keep reading, uh, then you don't just leave like the left. You leave people on the ground. You, you, you use local population to the extent that you can. And you decide your own terms of exit. You don't let the Taliban decide you're exiting and who you're taking. You don't leave the weaponry behind. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, yes, uh, you have to say, take, take these things once in, at, at a time. Um, I, I'm not aware that Bush talked about, I mean, that, that Trump talked much about Afghanistan. He talked about endless wars. Okay, well, uh, we don't have endless wars anymore. He took credit for that the other night. Uh, we're not in, in Iraq. We're not in Afghanistan. And, uh, okay. And he, he's the first president since Herbert Hoover not to send American troops into combat and other, other, other places. Is that a goal in itself? Uh, to some degree. Is it making us safer? Yet to be determined. Now, Herbert Hoover is an interesting character. Yeah. And he certainly is on the lower end of the list of your um, presidents, I believe. If Herbert, Herber, if Herber, Herbert Hoover uh, were not president of the United States, uh, he would be on the list that anyone drew up the, of, the, of the 10 greatest Americans. Um, he was the first one to become president. His entire experience was in the... Um, in the private sector. He was a mining engineer at a time when that was very important, uh, the, the discovery of gold and at the end of the, the end of the 19th century in parts of China and Africa and other places. And then at the age of 40, 
who's the richest man in the world, almost one of them, well, probably the richest, if not one of them. He gave an entire life to philanthropy. Uh, he fed most of Europe. Uh, starving, uh, the first cause was starving orphans in, in Belgium uh, in the World War. We weren't even in the war yet. Uh, John Maynard Keynes said he was one of the few people to come out of World War, World War I with a higher reputation than he had when we went in. <laughs> All the statesmen were disgraced. And they sought because he was an engineer and he believed in the, in, in the power of science, the power of experts. You don't like experts, talk to Herbert Hoover. He believed that expertise could solve all of our problems, science could solve all of our problems, and eventually the president would be reduced to the role of a clerk with all the experts running the department. Okay, so you say Herbert Hoover was really the, the closet father of, of, of populism because it didn't work out very well. Uh, yes, uh, very bad president. Uh, not a cold and, 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 uh, and, and um, egotistical president or a mean president. Uh, he really didn't understand that his world was falling apart. He said, where were you when you were 20? Well, when he was 20, uh, we now call them robber barons, but all these, all these uh, uh, people who prospered through laissez-faire capitalism built great companies. Carnegie, Mellon, Morgan, uh, Edison, Westinghouse, keep going. And he thought they should run the world to some degree and uh, didn't quite work out that way. It doesn't mean that he was wrong in everything he tried. He tried very hard to win, fight the depression. Couldn't understand that nothing he did worked. Absolutely. Let, let's move on okay. to another. I've, right, got, I've, right. I've got another uh, okay. interesting character. I, I, I'm aware we're, we're yeah. running out of time. But um, Robert Kennedy Jr. Yeah. He is ah. the only... Um, yes. Rival to Joe Biden yes. in terms of his candidacy yes. for the Democratic nomination. Yes. The Kennedys, obviously famous clan in American politics. Um, you know, they've, they've been in and out. They even had the presidency, obviously, uh, under JFK. How significant is it that the Kennedys have broke with Joe Biden? Well, I think it's very cynical. Well, I'll go back a bit. Sorry about the post start. Um, it's not significant in itself. Uh, the Kennedy family has, has been called a clan uh, more than a family, and they're famous for their loyalty. Uh, almost all the family is, is supporting Joe Biden in that particular contest. Uh, Joe Kennedy Jr., uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. is a, uh, an anti-vaxxer. Uh, a lot of people think that he should have run in the Republican primary where there are more votes in it than in the Democratic primary. All right. He has a magic name. Uh, with that name, I don't know, his, his uh, name recognition is very, very high. However, when your mother writes a letter at the age of 90-something, whatever she is, uh, people ask me about COVID. I tell the millions of Americans, and God knows how many in the world have died from it, um, should, you be, should you take the vaccine or not? I urge you all to talk to your private physician, family physician, and not listen to my son. And I speak for the rest of my family or most of my family. When uh, President Kennedy's daughter is, Caroline, is now ambassador to, uh, from the United States to Australia, uh, Ted Kennedy's widow, Vicky, is now ambassador, I believe, to Austria. I always forget the country. And Joe Kennedy Jr., his uh, uh, Bobby Jr.'s nephew, is uh, Biden's uh, troubleshooter for Ireland. Uh, you see, there's a, more than a divided family. You have Bobby running on his own. But he's known. And his father is known for shaking up the Democratic primary at a time when Lyndon Johnson was uh, Louis XIV. Let's start. Le party, c'est moi. Let's start, c'est moi. 
Can you just talk a little bit about what happened there where Johnson yes. was kicked yeah, out? I'll of, tell you. I'll tell you. Yeah. Um, Robert Caro, you asked me about. All right. Uh, famous biographer. Famous biographer of Robert Moses called The Power Broker, but Lyndon Johnson, who even wielded more power. He has a multi-volume book about how Johnson became this master of the Senate and eventually the presidency. And I talked to you about the party Joe Biden knew was boss back party. Uh, Lyndon Johnson uh, had such power on everyone. Uh, they were afraid of him. Uh, he rewarded people very, very generously, and he punished with, uh, <laughs> with the, the, the vengeance of Robespierre. And his domestic policies are very good. We talked about them earlier. Vietnam became this uh, cancer growing on the presidency. I'm, I'm quoting John Dean in another parallel of Watergate. Uh, hundreds of men, young men a, a week. And the press started, the Pentagon convinced the press to start the body counts. So as long as the week is ending and, and uh, you know, they killed 400 of ours and, and we, we killed 15,000 of theirs, we're winning. Okay. Some of them was calculated and said we annihilated the population of North Vietnam like 20 times, if that's true. Finally, Gene McCarthy said, well, I can't get anything done. I can't get any of you to have serious votes and cut off the money to the war. I certainly can't get you to impeach him or to call him to question. They did have a series of hearings. Uh, with the uh, Senate Foreign Relations Committee, but all they did was weaken uh, support for the war, enable to stop it. So he said, quote, we're just going to have to take it to the country. Gene McCarthy never thought he would be president. Nobody thought he should be president. I'm not even sure Mrs. McCarthy thought that at the time. But he was a gallant soldier, and he said, I have one issue. I support Johnson. Anything you're going to ask me about, but we're getting out of Vietnam. We're going to make, make the Hampshire primary referendum. Still didn't win, but 42% in the New Hampshire primary against a stand-in to the sitting president of the United States was enough to create shocks in the political system. Well, that shock happened uh, a week or two after McCarthy gets 42%. Uh, Bobby Kennedy announces that he's running for president. In the interim, uh, I think Martin Luther King is killed around this time, or a little bit after that, a little bit after that. Um, and suddenly, Jens Johnson withdraws from the race. Um, this pharaoh everybody was afraid of uh, can, get, can, can, can lose 42% of the vote in the Democratic primary to a senator no one ever heard of. And he was packing up his bags and leaving. Well, if Bobby Jr. Uh, becomes an instrument not for anti-vax, which is what he's running on. His dad ran against the war, but he's running on anti-vax. I'm not so sure there's that big a constituency of the Democratic Party. But if he says, um, I want this to be a protest vote, I'm asking all Democrats who are tired of our choices to vote for me. Whether I'm going to get nominated or not, I can open up the door. If he's a subtle candidate, which I doubt he'll be, and moves away from only that issue, but appeals to things that, that the Democratic Party has always stood for, um, other candidates could get into the race, thinking that um, someone's going to beat Joe in the end. Why can't it be me? If this guy can get 10, 15 percent, uh, why can't I, the governor of Illinois, the governor of California, the governor of Pennsylvania, the governor of Michigan? The problem is they all may run, and they all run. It destroys the, the uh, unity of the Democratic Party, and it strengthens whoever the Republican candidate is. But he can be an instrument. He's the only person who's announced uh, against Joe Biden. Um, I don't know how the Democratic rules are or the television is going to do this. If you, normally, you have to poll 
uh, a certain percent to get into the debates. There were some polls that put him on 19, 20%. Okay. Well, if we're going into the debates and people in New Hampshire say they want to debate, they're telling the pollsters they're voting for Kennedy because they want to debate, they want to hear Biden Biden, uh, submitted to the kind of questions you were asking me, uh, it could make it very interesting. He's a very interesting candidate in that regard. I don't think he has any uh, possibility of being president. I think he's running on some very dangerous issues. I want to end the interview with one final question, and I hope... um I hope viewers, you know, I haven't teased them too much with this because we've talked about your book, so the leaders that we deserve uh-huh. and a few we don't. Uh-huh. And this is where, again, you rank all of the presidents. And I just want you, and I'm sure you've been asked this a million times, to tell us about who are the best presidents, who are the worst presidents, and then we can wrap this thing Let up. me say, the reason I wrote the book is because uh, for years uh, we read on President's Day or on George Washington's birthday or whenever a president's doing something that we want or don't want him to do, uh, a poll has come out, and a poll of historians, uh, what, are, what are what great presidents? And the list never changes. But they never had any reason why. Lincoln's always on the top. In those days, Warren G. Harding was always on the bottom. Uh, and what we'll say in recent days, there's lots of room on the bottom, and Harding's coming up because of our recent presidents. A lot of them are coming in under poor Warren Harding. Uh, but uh, by the whole, never changed. And I re- then you have the partisan bias that most liberal academics and liberal newspapers who are the people who fill out the ballots. Uh, but then, again, they don't give you the cr- criteria. So is it possible? Uh, I used to believe there was a certain truth, a certain thing as universal truth. And that would be obvious if you take the facts where they lead. But I'm not sure about that anymore. But OK. So I said, all right, is there a way that I could come up with a list of people uh, who are great presidents who I might not have voted for? I mean, is there a way you can do this, managing the job, as opposed to whether he was right about the thing I care the most about? And I came up with um, six criteria. And I'll run through them, really. Uh, one is character. I mean, that's not going to change. Uh, Heraclitus, a Greek philosopher, said a man's character is his fate. Uh, if you tried to lie to your parents and steal from the cookie jar and, and copy other people's papers when you were in, in lower grades, you're not going to become a very ethical man when you grow up or woman when you grow up. Vision. Just talked about vision with Ronald Reagan. Um, what do you want to do with the job? Uh, why do you want to be president? We all know about the intuition in your, in your life, and uh, they all age. You, know, they all look, you look at Nixon the day he took over, the day he left, you look at Johnson. Johnson must have aged 30 years. He's only president for five. Uh, maybe it did kill Roosevelt. I mean, he was fighting polio all his life. It did, did have some effect on his arteries and other... Maybe, maybe, maybe. Why do they kill to get it? Uh, why do we never have an election with anybody? I'm not... I'm not nobody, come, nobody coming to play. Why do they all line up? Uh, it's a chance to make history. What do they want to do with it? Some didn't have a, a firm vision. And Reagan, as I said, could see around corners. And if I'm not going to change the world, why do I want that job? I have a better house in Beverly Hills with many more swimming pools, and they're all outside. Why, why do I want that? Character, and we have vision. So what's the vision for if you don't have the ability to carry it out? I call this the Carter problem. Now, Jimmy Carter may, may go down as one of the great humanitarians in the history of the world. His presidency was not a success. He may have been right. He may have been right on his energy self-sufficiency and other programs where he called for real sacrifice. But he couldn't get a lot through. And uh, talk about opposition within his own party. Uh, Ted Kennedy ran a very fierce campaign against Jimmy Carter, I think pulled about 40 percent of the Democratic delegates. 
the uh, the convention came to the last um, moment of wire pulling, and he very much weakened Jimmy Carter for the election. Okay, so we have those three, and then how do they play out uh, in policy areas? What are some issues that presidents cannot avoid? Well, they can't avoid the economy. We were just talking a little bit about interest rates and about recessions. Uh, they can't avoid foreign policy. Was the country stronger, weaker? Foreign policy, national security. And then the one that gets not only me, but all my readers and all who take up the causes of different presidents in trouble, whether they're going to expand uh, or constrict uh, liberty. America's founding mission. Talked about Mrs. Thatcher. Uh, they carry it around uh, uh, to more places, or did, did, did democracy shrink uh, under their watch? Well, freedom from who? And freedom for who? Back to the standard debate. So Abraham Lincoln believed that black people should be free and they should all live what Mr. Thatcher called the great American dream and what have you. Jefferson Davis thought Lincoln's uh, opponent was the, uh, the uh, head of the Confederate states that had left the Union, that they were fighting for the right to oppress others, or fighting for slavery. Uh, they call it freedom. Well, um, so by different people's lights, Okay, but I think most people are on Lincoln's side and mine and yours. So, uh, and then I gave every president grade. I mean, I started this as a parlor game. I said, well, perfect, perfect parlor game, uh, perfect way to end a cocktail party or a birthday party for somebody else. Go around the room. No one can prove me right. No one can prove me wrong. Pick your president and let, let the, uh, the shuffle more begin. And uh, I think it's had an impact in only one area. I've never seen the, uh, the list without categories before. I introduced categories into the debate. I forced the jurors to say, what kind of ballot are they filling out? And if you look at recent polls, I wrote the book, let's see, in, in uh, I think it came out in 98, maybe 2000, around there. Uh, every C-SPAN poll, which has now expanded number of categories, every one of them, uh, it's like uh, a child brings home a report card. You may get a B in biology and a D in French and an, an A in composition. And all right, well, let's deal with that. Deal with it that way, and let's see where they all. And, and so some of the some of the old greats have fallen from uh, favor. Uh, Wilson, we can talk about Jefferson to some extent. We can talk about Andrew Jackson. We can certainly talk about. He's been on the twenty dollar bill for about a century, and he's now now seen as the oppressor of of, of, of not only African Americans but um, more, more importantly, Native Americans. And he was a pro-slavery Union Democrat. Figure that one out sometime. No, no, well, well, he, he, he uh, did a number in the Battle of New Orleans. And, you know, okay. Um, he's fallen. Uh, Wilson's fallen. Uh, Jefferson's hanging on, but he's falling a few notches. Other people that were in the, <laughs> the ash heap of pollsters for a very long time, uh, U.S. Grant, is now risen something like uh, 20 notches. He used to be dead last uh, next to poor Mr. Harding. Some polls put him at seven, others put him at 20. Well, any, any of that's better than where he was. Why? Because these ratings tell us more about the evaluators than about the presidents. When, when civil rights was not considered important, when Jim Crow was tolerated by too much of the American society, Grant was the, the man trying to push reconstruction, trying to push voting rights, sending troops to supervise southern elections and all of that. Uh, now that in the post-LBJ era, now that we think voting rights is important, people should not be discriminated against because of the color of their skin, et cetera, uh, he's come up. 
uh, salva coolidge is coming up because sometimes there's an there uh, there's a remedy that a physician will give you maybe we don't try anything uh things are going well coolidge is great line speaks to character again it's very important, he wrote in his memoirs, to the President of the United States, to realize he's not a great man. It's a very humbling experience. I get up and shave just like every other man in America, I brush my teeth, I go to work, I come home, I, I read to my children, I go to bed. Uh, it's very important people know the President is not a king and, and not inherit divine power. So a lot of, a lot of things have changed. Uh, Coolidge is coming up, not, not because of me, but the way, way people think about categories. It's funny on that because Jimmy Carter obviously was more relaxed and saw himself very sort of you yes. know, man of the people. And he wore these jumpers and woolly yeah, things and right. had the solar yeah. panels and everything else. And then you had Reagan who saw himself as the president. You know, he always wore a suit. He didn't go yes. around not wearing a suit. He, right. saw that, he saw that image in a very different way. Um, but anyway, listen, I think we should end it there because I think that there's only one you know, way I can describe this interview and it's really been a tour de force of American uh, <laughs> history and presidents. So thank you so much, Alvin, for joining us. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Steve. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this show and are interested in hearing more episodes like it, please follow this podcast and drop us a review. If you have any suggestions of people you would like to be interviewed, you can let us know via the Apple Podcasts app.